Here's the opportunity right now today. Opportunity is find properties that are off market through direct mail, referrals, pay-per-click advertising, ringless voicemail, direct voicemail, text message. What all the strategies that you learn from Mike and learn from whoever your mentor is, find properties that are off market, clean them up, take them right back to the market on the MLS. Yeah. Because the MLS has so little inventory, people are paying over asking price. You're listening to the Just Start Real Estate Podcast. If you're serious about your real estate investing business and need real answers, you are in the right place. And now, your host, Mike Simmons. Hey guys, thank you for joining me on Just Our Real Estate. I appreciate you being here as always. It is super cool to have you here and to know that you have chosen to spend some time with us. I know there's a lot of things going on in your life. There's a lot of things going on in everyone's life and uh, you know you have to be careful where you spend your time and you're spending it here so thank you for that i appreciate it today's show is going to blow your mind uh i say it at the end uh but i'm just going to give you a little heads up i don't do a lot of talking in this episode uh, i just sit back and listen and i'm taking notes myself because the guest that i have on is amazing and uh, he is a top uh, residential real estate investor in his community. He's in Ohio, um, the, uh, the northeast uh, part of Ohio, Cleveland area. So uh, he's just crushing into that area. He has been since 2003 when he got started. And he has bought and sold over 700 properties in 25 states since 2003. I mean, he is a super successful, super active, really smart guy. He's a podcaster. He has several podcasts, including the Accelerated Investor Podcast, which I was fortunate enough to be on. It actually uh, went live the day that we recorded this, so I was pretty uh, stoked about that. And uh, Josh is just a wealth of information. When you listen to this episode, you're going to hear, you know, some people come on and they, they, you know, kind of give their opinions about things and based off of their experience, like this is what I think is going to happen. And that's great. It's, I love like experiment experience is huge. And when someone with a lot of experience talks, you should listen. But what's great about Josh is he has tons of experience, but he's also kind of a data guy. So he's talks about in this episode for a little while about the state of real estate right now, as it stands in 2020 end of, uh, uh, by the time this airs, it'll be probably like August, September timeframe, but he's talking about what's happening and more importantly, what we can expect to see in the real estate market in the next 12 to 18 months. And he backs it up with like hardcore data, which is awesome, especially for those of you out there who are just, you know, data nerds, you want that data. It's like, okay, that's what you think, but why do you think that? Give me the facts. And Josh gives us those facts. So uh, just a great episode. We cover private money. We cover uh, the, some of the traits of like high achieving entrepreneurs that he's seen over the years. And I, I loved it. I just ate it up. So without any further ado, guys, I give you my guest today, Josh Cantwell. All right, Josh, thank you for being on the show, man. I appreciate you doing this. I appreciate your time. Absolutely, Mike. Thanks so much for having me on, man. Excited to be here and uh, share with your audience. Yeah, absolutely. This is going to be fun because I know that uh, you've got a lot of good stuff that you're able to talk about at length and in depth. And, you know, we were kind of talking before we hopped on here off, off mic and uh, and just there's so many things that we could cover and it's, it's all of them are great, um, but we have to whittle it down so that it's something that we can kind of fit it into a time frame. But I'm excited about what we landed on. So I'll, let's, let's dive into that. But first, let's kind of get an idea who you are, people, if they don't know you, uh, give them an idea of who you are, where you come from, your background, why you got into what you're doing. Why did you even go down this entrepreneurial path? 
Sure. Yeah. So today, you know, I'm primarily focused on raising capital and investing in multifamily and apartments. Um, I've raised and managed about $40 million of private money that's currently in my deals right now in one-off deals, private lender loans, in equity, in my apartments. Uh, we own about 2,600 units of apartments as a general partner. Uh, actually, I have an 80 unit that we're uh, going to close in about 45 days. I've got a 20 unit under contract and we're also finishing the raise and the close of a 425 unit. So for a lot of your investors that are in resi and they're getting started and they're eventually uh, thinking about, hey, how do I own commercial? How do I own apartments? That's exactly how I got started was in resi. So to kind of back up, you know, I didn't always have 2,600 units of apartments. I didn't always have $40 million right. of capital. You know, I started it, just like most people. I was a, actually a financial advisor graduating from college. And I recognized that most of my financial planning clients own real estate. And I saw the guys that had, you know, stocks, bonds, mutual funds, but they owned apartments or they owned single family rentals or they owned buildings and they leased them out to restaurants and to retail. And I took notice of that. And, uh, and I started really thinking, okay, I've got to get an education. I looked around and got to some random websites and found a boot camp. And then, and, uh, the fall of 2003, I went to my first real estate event, much like yours and mine and other people's events. And at that time, we were trying to figure out what we were going to invest in. And in being from Northeast Ohio, from the greater Cleveland area, there was already a foreclosure crisis going on in Cleveland because Cleveland had 10 major companies like BP Oil left, had a huge building downtown left and went to Chicago. TRW closed, LTB Steel closed. So there are 10 major publicly traded companies that either left town or consolidated uh, or went bankrupt. And so there was a foreclosure crisis in Cleveland in 0304. So we thought, hey, that makes a lot of sense. And Mike, when we were doing our, when we were doing our direct mail, almost, you know, nine out of every 10 leads that came back was, hey, I want to sell my house, but I owe 175 and my house is probably worth 150 or yeah. 160. Yeah. So I started thinking, okay, this is going to be a foreclosure. This is going to be a default. And so we really got going with foreclosure investing, REOs, short sales, pre-foreclosures, forbearance deals uh, in 2003, way before the foreclosure crisis of yeah. 07, 08, 09. Right. And so today in 2020, I'm just going to tell your audience what I tell a lot of different groups that I speak to. This forbearance uh, loan modification, mortgage moratorium, it's going to result in a tidal wave. And I don't say that because I think it. I actually have the data from Mortgage Bankers Association, auction.com, Adam Data Solutions. We aggregate this data and that these forbearances, about uh, 65% of them are going to cure. 35% of them are not. That's based on historical data over the last 15 years. And a year from now, that 35% that doesn't cure is going to be a major tidal wave of foreclosures and opportunity for investors. And so that's how I got started. And it's funny to kind of see what's going on now with this virus business on how what I learned in 0304 that led up to the 080910 crisis has really positioned me to kind of see what's happening like a whole year in advance. I can yeah. tell you right now, next summer, July and August, it's coming. Yeah, it's funny. I've interviewed a lot of people in the industry and I have yet to find one single person who doesn't have some version of that, maybe less data, maybe it's more intuition, but they're telling us, listen, man, it's, there's going to be a change, right? So you're saying that, that the foreclosure market that we 
saw or the foreclosure uh, activity that we saw in like 2007, 2008, 2009, we're going to see something similar. You think it's going to be worse, not as bad, similar? No, it's definitely not going to be as bad. And yeah. here's, here's the actual data. So um, auction.com, the Mortgage Bankers Association, and Adam Data Solutions, which are three different data aggregators. Yep. Obviously, people know auction.com because they also sell houses, but they aggregate a ton of data. One of the things that we're tracking is, believe it or not, in 2017, when there were two hurricanes that came in, Hurricane Irma was one of them. And one of them slammed into New York, New Jersey area, if you remember. Mm -hmm. yep. And what happened was the, the government and the, the banks got ahead of that foreclosure crisis by offering all of those homeowners forbearance agreements. Yep. Okay. Sound a little bit like what's going on today. <laughs> yeah. So 2017, what happened was, is they got ahead of it and gave everybody a nine month uh, reprieve forbearance. Then when the mortgage uh, foreclosures picked back up, there was a massive spike in foreclosure filings. So the hurricane happened, the, the, uh, the moratorium happened, and 12 months later, there was a massive spike in foreclosure activity, foreclosure sales, delinquencies, defaults. And again, two thirds of them cured and either paid off, sold, or refinanced. Mm -hmm. The other 35% of them did not and ended up in some state of foreclosure, a short sale, massive delinquency, uh, some, some people were not able to cure. And so you look at that little microcosm of New York, New Jersey, 2017, that's where, Mike, our federal government got the playbook for coronavirus. Hmm. They looked back at that data and said, look, if we offer forbearance agreements to all these, you know, 40 million people who lost their jobs yeah. in March, April, May of this year, What's going to be the impact of that? And then they offered the foreclosure moratoriums, eviction moratoriums, things like that. Well, now that little microcosm of New York, New Jersey, 2017 is now our entire country. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. So what's actually happening right now is uh, during coronavirus, the demand for housing dropped 24%. And the way we, we, we monitor that is by first home showings with a new buyer going to see their first home with a realtor. Okay. okay? So demand's down 24%, but supply is down 58%. And the way you measure that is by the National Association of Realtors with the number of properties that are being listed for set. Okay. So demand is down, but supply is way down. And so demand outweighs supply. Property values have actually gone up in the last 12 weeks. It's amazing. Yeah. So what's happening now is if somebody, you're one of your students, one of the people listening to this, here's the opportunity right now today. Opportunity is find properties that are off market through direct mail, referrals, pay-per-click advertising, ringless voicemail, direct voicemail, text message, what all the strategies that you learn from Mike and learn from whoever your mentor is, find properties that are off market, clean them up, take them right back to the market on the MLS. Yeah. Because the MLS has so little inventory, people are paying over asking price. Yep. That strategy worked in 2008, 9, 10, but those buyers didn't start coming until 2012, 2013. Yeah. And it happened in New Jersey in 2017. It's happening right now. So you have about a year long window right now to the middle of next summer where demand is going to outweigh supply. Next summer, there's going to be a wave of new supply. So yeah. that's, you have to play the game and have to know what's working today. Yeah, that's super interesting. And I'm kind of living through that right now. I, I mentioned again, before we hopped on the air uh, or on the, on the recording that I just sold my personal residence and I'm, I just, I recently moved and <laughs> I'm trying to do the, uh, the, the magical sell high, buy low thing. So we sold our house and it was a nice house in a nice neighborhood, but I did, I've been, you know, I've been in real estate since 2008. I did the math. I know what my house should have sold for looking at the comps and the price per square foot and all the all the you know houses that sold around it. 
and it sold for dramatically higher than what I what I figured. Even me, like my own house, right? Like everyone's optimistic about what they can get. I got way, way more than I should have. And there's no comp that you can show me that would justify what I sold it for, but it appraised too, which was great. So I, now I'm renting, strategically renting, and kind of waiting this out and seeing if I can kind of catch that wave that happens about once a decade where house prices kind of go down and you can sell high, buy low. So we'll see if that happens, but that's interesting. I, I like hearing you say that because it makes me feel smart for doing what I'm doing because I'm mm -hmm. renting right now and I'm not thrilled about renting. I really want to go and buy the next house and be happy and have this big house that I'm going to live in for the rest of my life, but I'm kind of renting and holding out. So that's super good information, man. And, and you're just, you, you've, you kind of like used data to show and, and, and articulate what I've been told by a lot of people anecdotally over the last, you know, couple of months, like, Hey, this is definitely going to change, but I like how you like, this is how we know. And that's always good for the, for the data heads out there. Like, wait, I don't want to hear your anecdote. I want to know how you know this. Right. So thanks right. for doing that. I appreciate it. Yeah, you bet, man. So that's that's a little bit about you and certainly a little bit about the state of where we are right now. And that's, you know, that's the world we're living in. And by the way, I'm my in my company, we are doing exactly what you said. We're we in the past uh five years, we've been primarily wholesaling. We've been getting off market properties, flipping them to to buy, you know, like to the flippers and the and the uh, landlords, and that's kind of how we've been doing it. But we've noticed like we're doing much better just like you said, cleaning them up, throwing them on the MLS, and there's like a feeding frenzy. I'm selling houses for just stupid amounts that should not go for. Yeah. But they're appraising, you know what I mean? Like it's it's just where it, where we are right now. So totally, yeah, totally. So that it, what's interesting though, I knew I knew supply was down, but I thought that because of the because of the pandemic and because people were kind of sheltering in place and they couldn't really go out and do things, that it wasn't that the I thought the demand was actually up and the supply was down, like going the opposite directions because people were held back from going. So all the people who wanted to buy houses or should have bought houses, like statistically in March, April, and May, kind of like this dam was built and now that the dam has been released in a lot of areas and like you have this flood of buyers so but it's interesting that you're telling me it's down but supply is just down dramatically more so it feels exactly like right and i think you know the way the data flows out is the the demand was down because they measured that that was actually a redfin statistic and redfin measures that by first-time home showings okay and it doesn't mean that demand was truly down because you have to look at the fact that people didn't want to go inside other people's homes in the middle yeah. of coronavirus when yeah. they didn't really have, this was three months ago, two months ago, when nobody knew what was really going to happen. Like, is this virus living on people's televisions? Is it living <laughs> exactly. on people's kitchen countertops? Yep. Nobody wanted to go in homes. So that demand dropped. Yeah. Okay. Now, supply, again, first-time listings, that's a real thing. People just aren't signing listing agreements. Yep. That's a real number from the National Association of Realtors. So when there's literally not homes for sale, if you're a buyer, there are ways to still get in homes through virtual tours, seeing yeah. pictures, video, that kind of thing. And then that has peeled itself back because now people are like, hey, I can still sell my home. I'm comfortable people coming in. I just got to wipe it down when they leave. No big yeah. deal. But still, a lot of people are holding back on selling their homes. Why? Okay. Again, maybe loss of job. People don't want to move in the middle of coronavirus. Yeah. There, there's all these reasons why people are like holding back on listing. But the demand, the people that have lost jobs, the most people who have lost jobs have happened in those um, service area, vacation area. There's been jobs that have lost in all different kinds of areas. Like when I think about my personal friends who are, you know, middle class, upper class, and way upper class, none of them have lost their jobs. Very few. 
So that yeah. middle class, upper class, and really upper, upper class people, th- this is certainly slowing things down. Yeah. Maybe not making as much bonus or commission as they used to, but they're not in trouble. Yeah. People who are in trouble are service providers, bartenders, uh, you know, waiters, people yeah. that work at some of the you know, areas in the food, food, uh, food service business, airlines, car rentals, those types of jobs. So yeah. that's much more of the, 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 the renter yeah. community. And so you're not seeing a much of a crack in the, the housing market yet. Yeah. You might start to see that again when these, these foreclosure moratoriums and forbearances don't work out and roughly 35% of them won't work out. That'll happen next year. So in the, this next 12 months, big opportunity to be a wholesaler, big opportunity to get deals off market, clean them up, take them back on the market because the demand is definitely there. Totally. I love it. All right. So there's going to be this demand. We want to kind of p- a pile cash so that when everything kind of goes in that direction, we're there to take advantage of the market at that time, right? So yeah. let's talk, let's let's pivot a little bit here. And I want to uh, touch on a subject that I know you're an expert on and something that you can talk about intelligently and give us some really good insight. And that's raising money, right? That's, sure. that's, a, that's one of the big objections that I hear like, yeah, I want to, I want to do this real estate thing, but I don't have any money. I don't, I, know, I can't get a loan or whatever. Like they, you know, all these limiting beliefs. Talk to us about raising money. How, how do we incorporate that into our business so that we can really take advantage of the market? Yeah. So, so really it come, comes down to a couple things. First of all, it comes down to mindset, your own mindset around money. Okay. And I had a friend of mine, his name was Francis, who told me years ago, this is going back almost 10 years. He said, Josh, listen, if you have something, an offer, product or service, that you think is going to benefit someone and you think they're going to be better off for having it or using it, you have a moral obligation to sell it to them. I love that. Think about that. Yeah. Moral obligation to sell it to them. So look at the stock market today. Mindset says, oh, the easy thing to do is throw your money in the stock. Tell me one person who's super happy with the stock market. Nobody. <laughs> yeah. Okay? Yeah. So every, yeah. every, you know, every five years or so, the market does a run up and then the market takes a huge dive. The market takes a run up, takes a huge dive. So what I love about real estate, you have to understand this, is that if you buy it right, if you take care of it, manage it and cash flow it, it's about the safest investment in the world. And a private lender can get an eight, 10, 12% return through a simple note and mortgage. Uh, secured by the real estate and the private lender's chance of losing money is almost zero. Yeah. Uh, as long as the operator does a good job of investing in that piece of real estate and the chances of them getting this eight to 10 to 12% fixed return with no fees, no costs is very, very high. It's a very high possibility of getting that return. Yep. So if you think about it, if, if, if you say, okay, I've got people that I know that have to have money, they've got to have money somewhere. And everybody that you know, is saving for retirement. People have two major assets in their life. One is their personal residence and second one is their retirement savings. And so the average person, based on numerous studies, changes jobs seven times in their working career. So we know that people are saving money for retirement in their 401k, in their pension, in their IRA, but they're gonna switch jobs seven times in their working career. So that's seven times that there's an opportunity for a rollover from their pension, 401k, to a self-directed IRA. Right. The other thing about mindset here, Mike, is that, listen, I got to tell you a story. When I was 25 years old, I was already making about 150,000 bucks a year in the financial services world. I drove a nice car. I had an expensive suit. And I once one day had an appointment to drive from my office in Cleveland out to Madison, Ohio. And I drove out there. This was a client of the firm. It was not one of my clients, but a client of the firm. I went out to them. They had some money with the firm, but no, no real advisor that was working with them. Okay. I'm a financial advisor, selling life insurance and mutual funds and all this stuff. I pull up to the house, gravel driveway, grass is totally unkempt, 
there's horses and there's goats and there's cows. The fences are falling down. There's a barn that looks about like it's about to cave in. This little white house, when I pull up, looks like it's, you know, like Texas Chainsaw Massacre. It's, it, it's dusty, dirty. And I'm thinking, oh, my God, what am I doing? Here? Right. I think, well, I drove an hour to get here. Might as well walk in the door, knock on the door. I knock on the door. It's like that old, nasty, half-rotten screen door that yeah. just like, fall off the house. <laughs> and this little little old lady answers the door. She's got like a dirty apron on type of thing. She's, hey, come on in, come on in. Like, oh my God, I'm totally wasting my time. Yeah. Sit down at the kitchen table. It's a rickety old table. It's rickety old chairs. The sink is full of pots and pans. Dirty. And I'm thinking, oh God, such a waste of time. I sit down and talk to start talking to this couple. And here, the woman was a school teacher for 35 years, had a $400,000 pension. The husband had worked for General Motors as a machinist for 38 years, had a half a million dollar pension. They had saved $300,000 in their 401ks. The farm and the land was probably worth about 300 grand. It was paid off. Um, they owned annuities, they owned mutual funds, they owned all this stuff. And so I had made this preconceived idea concocted in my head that I was really well off and these people had no money. And so you have to remove all of that. What I learned from that meeting is you have to remove all this mindset from private money because the people that you know that live in big, massive houses, sometimes they're paycheck to paycheck. The people that you know that live in small duplex, they're great savers and they have money. So the first thing about private money is you have to remove all preconceived idea of whether anybody that you know has money or not. The second thing you have to do with private money is the mindset of saying, look, I'm not going to approach people in my network about investing with me. I'm going to approach them about four things, actually. Can they ever buy a house from me? Can they ever sell a house to me? Can they ever cheerlead for me or refer me a house that I could buy in wholesale? Or can they ever lend or invest with me? So when I opened up my mind to think I'm going to meet with anybody who can help me buy a house, sell a house, cheerlead for me or lend to me. Now I thought I could go meet with just about anybody and just show them what I'm doing in real estate. I don't have any idea if they have money or not. But if they like what I have to say, maybe they'll refer me or cheerlead for me. Maybe they they have a friend who's down on their luck and can yeah. refer me a foreclosure. Yep. Maybe they're looking for an investment property. I can wholesale them a house. Yep. So everybody became my potential client one way or the other. Yeah. So those couple mindset shifts are a big deal. Now, when it comes to actually raising private money, it comes out, it's very, very simple. And all I'm going to do, Mike, is tell your audience exactly what I've done. Now, I'm not going to tell any more, any less, no theory, just exactly what I've done. Perfect. So step number one, very simple, is come up with an irresistible offer. So if you're a rehabber and you're buying from Mike or you're buying from one of Mike's students and you're you're, you're selling the property to a, a rehabber, the irresistible offer, if I'm the rehabber, I'm buying the property and I want some private money, I come up with an offer for my private investor. And I, what I've done since 2012 is I've offered my potential private lenders 12% interest or 15% of my profits, whichever was higher. Nice. So people said to me, well, Josh, like if I can get 12% interest secured by real estate and you're buying it at 70 cents on the dollar and or I could get 15% of your profits if you rehab it and flip it, whichever is greater, but my floor is 12%. What about me? Like, why wouldn't I do that? Right. You know, all my friends that I started just telling them, hey, this is what I'm doing with real estate. I'm buying properties, fixing them, selling them. I'm paying my private investors 12% interest or 15% of the profits, whichever is greater. And I would just say, I'm not assuming that you're interested in that at all. But if you know anybody that would be interested in something like that, just keep me at the top of your mind. Here's a bunch of business cards. Will you refer me? Yeah. And my buddies or my parents, my friends, my family, all my colleagues, people I would met at different RIA clubs, they would all say, well, hey, 
What about me? Yep. I'll do that deal. Yep. One, like, because it was an irresistible offer, but two, because I never approached yep. them about lending to me yeah. or investing with me. I said, I'm not assuming that you're interested at all. I have no clue if you have any money. And this is how I've been able to approach friends and family in a very comfortable, non-weird, non-salesy way. Yep. And letting them self-select on if they're willing and wanting to invest. Totally. So that's step number one. Brilliant. Step number two, real quick, is to come up with your avatar. Who is the ideal investor for you? I've got a couple avatars. I'll share them with your audience. One, you know, I, I deal with some pretty heavy hitters now, but my one of my favorite conferences to go to is actually not real estate conferences. It's e-commerce conferences. Amazon conferences, guys that sell physical products on the internet, okay. go to their conferences. They've got free cash flow. They've got good businesses that they can sell for a windfall. That's one of my avatars. Another avatar is the corporate lifer. Guys got 30, 35 years and a big 401k. That's one of my avatars. My third avatar is real estate investors because sometimes we, they want to invest in other deals passively outside of their own deal, right? Yep. So that's the next step. What's your avatar? Okay. Um, the third step is where can this avatar be found? Okay, are they already in your ecosystem? Are there people that you already know? Do you have neighbors? Who, who Are they potentially part of your avatar? Can you go to e-commerce events? Can you go to meetups? Uh, can you find people on bigger pockets or inside of some Facebook groups? The answer is yes, 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 yes. Um, that's step number three. Where can your ideal investor be found? So you gotta be a little bit uh, specific about where you're gonna go. Are you gonna to go to like a boating club? Like I've got one of my students, Darren, who's raised about $6 million. He never had a boat, but he joined the Rocky River Yacht Club. And That's he great. swims there with his family, doesn't even own a boat. He's raised $6 million from the Rocky River Yacht Club. So he doesn't own a boat. He pays the $150 a month to be a social member. Yeah, It's, it's not much money. Um, so where can your ideal investor be found? And step number four is to create this, what I call multimedia marketing approach. Um, and this is everything that we're talking about now, Mike, you're talking about, okay, the first thing I'm going to do is I'm going to go to, go to events. I'm going to go to live events. I'm going to go to meetups, seminars. I'm going to go to all these places. I'm going to get business cards. Then I'm going to create content in my media, my marketing, uh, multimedia marketing approach, create content, Zoom videos, Facebook lives, have people know on my personal Facebook page, just put it out there what I'm doing. Yeah. Okay. Don't hide behind a business page. Don't hide behind a podcast. Put it on your personal Facebook page. Okay. Then as you get physical email addresses and phone numbers and physical addresses, create a physical newsletter. This is a, this is a big part of it, Mike. Right. Create a physical newsletter. Don't rely on email marketing. Don't rely on just social media. Don't rely on video or Facebook live because where people really have invested with me is when they've gotten my, this physical newsletter. It's a two page or a four page physical newsletter. We send it out. I don't even know. I might even have one here. Um, might probably at my home office, but physical newsletter. Okay. And you send this to their house. Like you, it's like physical mail right to their house, physical snail mail. It's in high definition, high gloss, <clears throat> but it's examples of real estate deals we're doing nice. or real estate deals in the marketplace, just educating them. I've had people call me, got my newsletter. Like, Hey Josh, I got this newsletter. Like, what is this all about? What, 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 what are you doing? Yeah. Um, and you know, we'll advertise cause we're sending this newsletter out to people that already know us. We have relationships with them. 
So now we're sending this physical letter and we're saying like, here's a deal that we did. We always talk about with private lending, always talk about your past yeah. deals. Yeah, very important. Okay, so talk about past deals. Yeah, we, we bought this house for a hundred, we put 50 into it. We paid our investor 12% interest or 15% of the profit. We sold it for 230. We made $50,000 profit and our investor made a 14% return. Yep, Josh, let's tell people why is that important? Why is it important to talk about? I know why, you know why, but let's. I would like for you to articulate, why do you say talk about past deals? Yeah, it's important. So uh, the art of raising private money is very regulated. Mm -hmm. It's very regulated. It's been regulated since the 1930s. So 1933, 1934, Securities Act of 1933, Securities Act of 1934. Prior to 1934, during the Great Depression, what happened was if somebody had private investors to invest in their deal, and let's say they were in the state of Ohio, which is where I'm from, if they raised money through the sale of securities to fund their business, it was all regulated on a state-by-state -state basis. If I screwed everybody over and I just simply went across state lines, let's say to Pennsylvania or West Virginia, then nobody could chase me because I crossed state lines because securities were regulated on a state-by-state -state basis. Yeah. Securities Act of 1933 and 1934 comes out. That becomes the, the, the doctrine, if you will, of raising private money until 2011. So for 80 years, the rule was you could raise private money for your deals. You could raise private money for your business of any kind. Didn't have to just be real estate, but you could not solicit the general public. Yeah. It was called a Reg D and there's a couple of different Reg D offerings, but I use 506B, which allows me to recruit capital from people that I already have an existing relationship with. Yep. Big deal. So that's been the doctrine for, that's been the law for over 80 years. Now in 2011, President Obama signs in the, the Jobs Act and he creates a whole nother way to raise money, which is known as the Jobs Act. And it, it, it creates crowdfunding platforms, creates what's known as 506C, which allows you to solicit the general public for investing in your deals with one big caveat, which is you can only take money from accredited investors. Right. People who have a $200,000 income if they're single, $300,000 if they're married, or worth a million dollars excluding their personal residence. So yep. that, Mike, is a big deal. So I just started with my 506B, focusing on people that I already knew, I had already met, I knew who they were, I had their business cards, I met them at different events, family, friends, and I just took this approach where I was going to stay in front of them. I was going to be the top of mind reference. I just wanted to be in front of them in case they could sell me a house. They could buy one of my properties. They could cheerlead for me or invest with me. And it turned out, I couldn't believe how many of my friends I thought were loaded who'd had no money <laughs> and how many of my friends that were really had no money who had uh, extra hundred grand, 200 grand yeah. that they could lend to me. So, so that's step number four. Finally, step number five is just follow up, follow up, follow up. We use a, a program called Profit Pro. It's a customized program that we use where we manage all of our investors. We use that software to be able to show our investors offerings, to follow up with them, email them, keep notes, keep track of all their investments and distributions. And we follow up like crazy. I have a guy now, Mike, that has more than a million dollars of private money with me. I met him in 2015. He did not invest with me until 2018. 
And now he's got a million bucks with me. So it's all about follow-up and relationships. Totally. I love it. And just as a side note, when you're when you're talking to private investors, you're talking about you know 12% interest, 8% interest. Don't guarantee them a return. Uh, certainly don't guarantee them a return on Facebook. That's a bad idea. Um, and I think talking about past deals is good because you can, you can just spew facts, right? You can't say this is what I guarantee will happen every time, but you can say this is what happened in all my past deals. Like you can see, I, I, I paid out 12%, whatever it was. So just be real careful. There are rules and regulations that, that regulate you know, raising money online and that kind of thing. Don't get too carried away. Awesome. Listen, I know you also talk extensively about high achieving entrepreneurs, people uh, who who do great things. And there's some common threads among them, some traits that you've identified. I would love to get into that because I know there's a good section of my audience that they're kind of already cranking, like they're doing pretty well, right? And they they really just want to up their their game a little bit. They want to understand how they can get even better in whatever they're doing, whatever area of of the business they're doing. Let's talk about those traits if we can. And I know this is something you you could talk about for an entire day, uh, but we're going to kind of distill it down as best as possible so people can yeah. benefit from it in the time that we have available. Yeah, sure. Sure. Yeah, there's eight traits. And like I've been coaching real estate entrepreneurs since 2006. Um, I've coached people in other uh, industries like e-commerce uh, and in sales uh, for over 10 years. Uh, again, you know, we have a big portfolio of our own. I've done over a thousand real estate deals, uh, 400 wholesale deals. Right now, it's going to be a great opportunity to wholesale. And I've noticed over this last, you know, 10 to 15 years of being an entrepreneur, I've never had a boss, me personally. I graduated from college and I've only been either completely self-employed, a self-employed sales rep on commission only, or I've been a real estate investor. And during that time, I've recognized that there's some serious traits of entrepreneurs that do well and people that make a seven-figure income. There's eight of them. Okay. Um, the first one, Mike, is that they realize that no one is coming to their rescue. <laughs> I love Trait that. number one, no one's coming to their rescue. They realize that they're 100% responsible for their income, their marketing, their life. They know that they need to build their own life and that they take 100% responsibility for it, which is, you know, if you think about everything that's going on in our society right now, there's so many people who are not taking responsibility for their own lives. They're relying on the government. They think that things should be given to them. And so elite entrepreneurs realize that no one's coming to their rescue, that they wake up and say, I can do anything I want. I'm 100% responsible for the life that I want. And they have this conviction that I can do it. I don't need everybody's help. I'm going to seek help from smart people, but it's up to me. That's trait number one. It's the most important thing. Love it. Um, trait number two is what I call the ACER exercise. ACER exercise ACERS, A-C-E-R, stands for having absolute clarity of the end result. And what I found in elite entrepreneurs and seven-figure earners is that they dream about their, their ideal life, their absolutely clear end result, the house they want, the car they want, the passive income that they want, the business that they want, the relationship they want with a spouse and their kids and their parents, their faith, their happiness, their fitness. They dream about all this stuff and they get real clear about it. And then they reverse engineer their day-to-day life so that they're living some of that sort of dream life now. And they're just kind of stepping into ultimately what this is. It's like the act as if idea, like Mm -hmm. I'm going to act as if I have it, even if I don't have it. And I'm much more to actually living it. So it's called the Acer exercise. We have a whole project, a whole questionnaire that we run our people through. Um, We don't have time for that, but 
elite entrepreneurs and seven figure earners, they know what their end result looks like. And they're just constantly striving. They take all the garbage and get it out of the way because it doesn't serve their end result. Yeah. It sounds like almost like a North star. It's like, you know, the direction you can see where you're going. It's in the horizon. You're kind of always moving in that direction. I love that. I think that's great. Yeah. Number three is what we call the ideal average day. Okay. So elite entrepreneurs, I realized they have this big dream. They have this sort of end result that they're shooting for. But then they realize, look, you know, I I kind of have an average day, like my my regular day that I have, like the time I get up, the time I work out, the time I eat, do I fast? Uh, when do I have lunch? When do I call my wife? How, what, what am I doing on certain days? Like Mondays and Fridays are what I call my buffer day, like where I, I just do my meetings and I set myself up so that Tuesday, Wednesday, Thursday, and Friday afternoon, I can do only revenue producing activities. So elite entrepreneurs have what I call an ideal average day. It's like, what is my swim lane? What do I need to do on a, the regular day? Okay. And so when I interviewed Kevin O'Leary from, from Shark Tank for my podcast, and, and I talked to Jack Canfield from Chicken Soup for the Soul and Secret, we talked about most entrepreneurs realize that they have a million things to do. So they pick three the night before or the morning of, they pick three things and their ideal average day, they get these three things done, come hell or high water before they take meetings, before they have phone calls, before they go to email, they focus on those three things. So their ideal, their average day is still ideal for performance. Right. See what I'm saying? Yep. It's amazing. I love it. I love it. Like number four is super time management skills. Uh, the, the guys that I know and the gals that I know that are seven figure earners and just guys that own software companies and huge real estate portfolios and they're seven figure wholesalers. You know, they're, they're doing wholesale deals and doing just gobs of deals. Yep. They have super time management skills. And this goes back to what I refer to as this kind of free day, focus day, buffer day concept where I have days where I don't work at all. I'm not going to answer my phone. I don't look at my email. That's known as a free day. And on those free days, I do nothing for work. I completely unplug um, and I do nothing for work. And so those are the days when my mind is free for an elite entrepreneur or a seven figure. That's when your mind is so free to think about what's important. And then usually those are the days when the best ideas pop in your head. Yeah. Okay. That's your free day. A focus day is a day where you're only doing revenue production. Like if you're a wholesaler, you're on the phone, you're either on the phone or in front of a, a motivated seller, or you're fighting to get in front of a motivated seller. Okay. I learned that when I was 22 years old, I was a financial advisor. My boss came to me, Mike, and he said, look, Josh, as a financial advisor, if you're in front of a client or you're on the phone with a client or you are fighting to get in front of a client, you are earning money. If you do anything else, you are unemployed. <laughs> yeah, yeah, it's true. Super time management skills. So Love if it. you're you know, a really successful rehabber or you're a really successful wholesaler, you're buying rental properties. All that matters is finding properties to buy, marketing for properties to buy, on the phone with motivated sellers because we make money when we buy, we yep. realize the profits when we sell or flip. Yep. So super time management skills. The third part, the third day in my week is called a buffer day. And that's where I have to have some meetings with my staff. I've got to organize myself. Sometimes I got to go to the bank or I've got to take a weird meeting with my banker. Those are the days, the buffer days. So that's when we do things within our work. That's not necessarily revenue producing, but that's necessary. Sure. Okay. Yep. So that was number four, super time management skills. Number five is elite entrepreneurs, Mike, they use technology as a weapon. Okay. A lot of guys are like, I'm I'm just going to muscle it with phone calls. I'm just going to muscle it with email. I'm going to keep all my notes on yellow pads and Google docs. (laughs) 
<laughs> Elite entrepreneurs and seven-figure yeah. earners use software as a weapon. Yeah. So they use marketing automation through email marketing and autoresponders and direct-to-voicemail. They they keep all their clients in one place. They raise capital using, like we use this program called Profit Pro. They use technology as a weapon to make their lives easier and to scale. So you're never going to scale your business if you're just doing everything off the back of a napkin. Um, elite entrepreneurs and seven-figure earners absolutely are adopting technology everywhere they can. Um, number six, Mike, is, is this concept of what I call scale with accessibility, okay? What I mean by that is elite entrepreneurs and seven-figure earners, they scale their business. Like, let's say, again, you're a wholesaling business or you have a huge rental portfolio or you're raising capital. They scale their business, but they, they make themselves accessible to their employees, to their students, to their private lenders. They make themselves accessible. It's this concept of this one-to-many concept yeah. where... I can teach, like we're doing on this podcast, one time, and hundreds or thousands, tens of thousands of people are going to hear this. It's the idea that if I have students, I can use a private Facebook group, and I can communicate with hundreds, thousands, tens of thousands of students in a private Facebook group, and there's this perception that I'm accessible to them through Facebook Lives, things like this, and I'm able to scale and deliver my message to hundreds, thousands, tens of thousands of people at a time. Elite entrepreneurs realize they don't sell one to one. They yeah. sell one to many or they recruit capital one to many. Yeah. Okay. Yep. That's a big deal, right? It's this huge. whole concept of accessibility. Huge. I love that. Um, I'll zip through the last two. Number seven is elite entrepreneurs and seven figure earners, Mike, they realize that service trumps price. Okay. Again, I've had people sell me houses, sell me apartment buildings um, who could have got a higher price from someone else. Another buyer was willing to pay more. Yep. But because I followed up, because I created a connection, because we gave them white glove service, yep. I've had private investors say, Josh, I've had other people offer me these massive returns. I keep investing with you because I get quarterly reports every quarter. You host these calls every quarter. You're super transparent. Service trumps price. I see it all the time. I see it all the time. And last but not least, Mike, is refuse. It's one word, the concept of refuse. And what I mean by refuse is elite entrepreneurs have no room in their life for toxic relationships, negative people, negative associations. They refuse to acknowledge and spend time with people, organizations, or with ideas or businesses that do not serve their ACER that we talked about, which was number two. Yep. They refuse to do anything that does not serve that higher purpose. So for me, like I get asked all the time to speak on different stages and come on podcasts. I decline tons of them. It's not the right audience. It's not the right message. Like I'll start a controversial post on Facebook and then everybody will jump in with all these comments and I'll leave the conversation because I don't want to spend all my day talking with trolls online, yeah. but I do enjoy some of the, the, the interaction, <laughs> yeah. but I still have a thread going on my personal Facebook from five days ago and people are still talking about this and I haven't even looked at that. So elite entrepreneurs refuse. Give you another example. My father was a very successful entrepreneur. He volunteered to be on the board at my private high school. He said, Josh, after a year, they didn't accomplish anything. A year later, they were still talking about the same things they were talking about a year ago, about you know what they were going to do with the land that they own, and what they were going to do with the change of the colors of the school, and how they were going to recruit more students. He's like, Josh, I quit. It was, it was not serving me. And so it's this whole concept of what I call lilies and leeches. Okay, Leeches take things from you. The lilies are beautiful, and they give to you. And so elite entrepreneurs refuse 
negative people, toxic relationships, and leeches. They just cut them off. I'm sorry, I don't have time for you anymore. They'll, they're willing to lose relationships because it doesn't serve their ace or their higher purpose. Um, I've seen some people who are absolutely savages about this, where they will just not spend any time or any effort. People ask me, hey, can we get a cup of coffee? No. Hey, can I get five minutes of your time? No. Somebody leaves me a voicemail, don't call them back. It's okay. It's okay. That doesn't serve your purpose. Refuse. And that is characteristic number eight. Wow. I'll tell you what, the one way that I always know when I have someone on my on my show who's got a lot of good info is I don't talk a lot. And I'm and yeah. I love to talk, man. I can talk, I can talk the whole time. Uh, I barely spoke this whole episode and and please understand it's because I really didn't want to interrupt the flow and what you're talking about and things that you're sharing are so valuable that I just wanted to make sure you were able to get all that out in the time that we have. Yeah. So man, you're you let me rip, man. I appreciate that. Dude, I'm such a talker and it's just keeping me quiet that long is a real struggle, but it wasn't because I was I was totally just in it like everyone else I'm sure who's listening to this is totally in it. So thank you for that. You know, the we didn't really go I didn't talk too much when you were talking about the raising the money. But one thing I want to underscore, and it was, I think it was the first thing you said, I think a lot of, a lot of real estate investors or people in my industry go to, they go into a meeting with a potential private investor, whether it's a family member or anybody else with this, gee, I hope they help me. I hope they have pity on me. Like I need their money so bad and they, they don't need me, but I need them. It's quite the opposite. And you said it really, really, really well. If you have something that they need, it's your obligation to sell it to them. And you're right. Uh, there's very little risk if it's done well and, and bought properly. And we really need, as investors, we need to start going into these uh, into these conversations with they need us way more than we, than we need them. Like yeah, we have okay. something extremely valuable for them. And if they don't want it, that's totally fine. We'll just move on to the next conversation. And I think that's huge. And then the eight traits you talked about, uh, a lot of them, all of them really resonated with me and and I love them. The one, the first one, man, is something, I not heard it articulated until just recently, but the no one is coming to your rescue. The way I heard it was very similar, but it was just no one's coming for you. Like when, when you're in a situation and you have that realization, no one's coming for you, your your uh your tenacity changes right you stop waiting around for someone to save you and you realize if you don't start swimming you're not going to get to shore because there's no one who knows you're there like that's a that's a feeling of like i need to do this right so i love that man all of these are super valuable and and those of you out there who've kind of been out as an entrepreneur for a while and, and really just going through the i guarantee all eight of those hit home with you and if you haven't realized them yet it's good that you're hearing it now because all of them are so true man josh listen Thanks for your time. You're, you're such a cool guy, smart guy. Um, you had me on your show. I think it went live today, actually, as we're speaking, yeah. uh, which is very, very cool. So thanks for doing that. I know uh, there's some things that you're excited about, some things you're working on, and some things that you're involved in. One of them is the uh, freelandventures.com, that website. Can you talk to people about what they'll see when they go there? And I suggest you guys do go there, but what are they going to see there? What, what's available for them? Yeah, so Freeland Ventures is just our main website. We own the Ohio Landlord Association, so we host those meetings on a monthly basis basis. Um, they're going to see our portfolio of apartments. They're okay. going to see some statistics around the deals that we own. And also on there, they get an opportunity. Uh, our book is for sale for $19. If they go to that website, they can uh, actually, if they want a physical copy, um, they can buy the physical copy of the book. It's actually free. They just have to pay the shipping. Uh, and little secret, if they go on the site and wait about 10 seconds, there's a pop-up that will pop up and they can get the downloadable ebook version for free. Nice. So go to Freeland Venture 
Andrews.com. You'll see all my bio, my team, our information, how we raise money, our portfolio, and then a couple different ways to uh, to get our book. Our, my book is called The Flip System. Uh, we've done over uh, 700 deals, about 400 as a, a wholesaler, 300 as a rehabber. I made over 450 private lender loans. And actually, a lot of the concepts, Mike, that we talked about in this podcast are in that book. So it's nice. getflipsystem.com. Uh, and if you can find it all off of the freelandventures.com website. Nice. I love it. I suggest you guys go grab that. It's There's no doubt about it. Uh, you know what you're talking about. You've been doing this a long time. Tons of success. And uh, like I said, there's no greater testimonial for me than I just didn't open up my mouth. And that's very rare for me. So thanks for doing that. Thanks for making it so easy, man. And just, you were just spilling the goods left and right. So there was no point in interrupting that, man. Like I said, thank you for your time. I really appreciate this. I know you're a busy guy. Uh, you have a lot going on. So uh, the fact that you took a few minutes to, to hang out with me and talk is super cool. So thanks for doing that. Hey, Mike, thanks so much for having me on, man. I had a blast. Thanks for letting me rip. I appreciate it. All right. No problem, man. We'll see you next time. All right, guys, I hope that's something you really enjoyed. I had a good time interviewing Josh. Um, smart guy. I'm not kidding. You guys have listened to the show a lot. You know that I am not short on it. opinions and things and kind of getting in there and, and really having that conversation with the guest. And I love doing that. I think it's super valuable uh, to ask a lot of those questions. But Josh was just on a roll, man. He was just really just spilling gold all over the place. And I didn't want to I didn't want to disrupt that flow because he really had a lot that he wanted to share with you guys today. And, you know, there's only so much time I want to ask somebody to take out of their day. So I really want him to be able to get it in. I knew what he was going to share with you guys, and I was really excited for him to do it. So, man, that was a good one. I really enjoyed that myself. I was taking notes like crazy. So love, love, love when I get somebody on the show that I think is just like a nonstop um, you know, just a fire hose of, of good information. And, and Josh was that. So guys, listen, you know, he's been doing this for a long time. Some of you out there listening have not even gotten started and that's fine. It's fine. You got everyone to start somewhere, but if you don't start, you'll never get where you want to be. Josh didn't get to where he is. I haven't gotten to where I am. And all the other guests that I've had on this show that are just doing amazing things, none of them have gotten to the point that they're at in life without just getting started at some point. So get out there and just start. Make today the best day so far. All right, get out there and get after it. We'll talk to you next time. Okay you're still there. You're still listening. That's awesome. And I really appreciate that. Now, hopefully it wasn't an accident. Hopefully you didn't leave the room and I'm just talking to an empty room right now. But assuming you're still there, I want to do something really, really cool for you. For a limited time, I want to give you a free digital download of my book, the entire book, Level Jumping. If you're a listener to the show, you know it just came out and it really details how I took my business from being like one where I was just doing a few deals a month, maybe one or two deals a month, to doing over 10 and sometimes 15 deals a month and over a hundred a year. And I went from doing very little profit to over a million dollars in profit. And I made that transformation in a 12-month period. And this book talks about what I did, the steps I took to transform my business and how you can too. So grab a free digital download and you can get that by texting the words, just start, as two words now, just start to the number 55444. So text just start to 55444. I will send you a free digital download of my book. It's the complete book. There's nothing held back. And that'll be completely yours just for making it to the end of the show and listening to me. And I really, really appreciate it, guys. So I want to do something nice for you. I do this every once in a while at the end of shows. And if you listen to the very end, every once in a while, I do a giveaway like this. So hopefully you enjoy that. Go grab a free copy. I hope you read it. I hope you love it. Reach out. Let me know what you think. All right, guys. Talk to you next time.